Hello and welcome to Hello Government, the podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and man, my guest today is a legend, a legend in the industry. Mr. Brian Drummond, how are you doing, sir? Excellent, doing great. Thanks for having me. Does it feel weird hearing people refer to you as a legend? Yeah, it just makes you realize how old you are. So more, more, than, <laughs> more than weird, it's uh, it's a reality check. It's like, oh yeah, I've been around for a while, I guess, <laughs> but I've done a bit too. So, uh, so that's a, that's a good feeling, I guess. And you're still doing it. Like here we are. Oh like, yeah. How many years later, and you're still like, you know, getting cast and stuff, and it's yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, but my first question is the obvious one. Like, how did you get started? Like, what what is your origin story? Well, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a it's a pretty wild one. I mean, I wouldn't be probably picked as uh, as a younger person to to be you know end up sort of in a career like this. I grew up on a, a thoroughbred racehorse ranch in the interior of the province that I'm from, which is British Columbia on the west coast of of Canada. I grew up in a small town on a racehorse ranch. So we bred, raised racehorses, but it wasn't something I really wanted to do. I kind of fell in love with some theater in high school and, and uh, found a way to pursue it. Auditioned for a, um, one of the top theater schools in the country, which was based out of Vancouver, about a five hour drive from where I grew up, the West coast of uh, furthest, almost the furthest West coast point in Canada. Um, one of the bigger cities in Canada as well. And I managed to get into that school. They audition about 500 people across the country and pick 16 of them. And for some reason, they thought I was raw enough that they could mold me into something because I didn't think my audition was very good. But I managed to uh, get in the program in 1988, graduated from there in um, 91 and uh, started doing film and TV and theater, all the kind of stuff that was happening in Vancouver lots of sci-fi stuff that shot in Vancouver that I had small parts on like Smallville and X-Files and Stargate and all that kind of stuff that was shot in Vancouver. Um, but then in the, it's either late 93 or, or 94. I can't even remember when I went to sort of a symposium uh, about uh, voiceover, which was being put on by mainframe um, when they were, they were talking about the very first CG um animated uh, tv series that was going to be happen it was called reboot and it was being done in our town i didn't get a part on that but they were recasting bob about i think in the second season and that was my first audition for animation i didn't get the role it went to a buddy of mine ian corlett but shortly after that i auditioned for um a gi joe series which sue blue was directing um, and she directed all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all that stuff back in the 80s. And I landed a lead on this G.I. Joe series called G.I. Joe Extreme. Right after that, landed Vegeta on Dragon Ball Z as an ADR dubbing show. And that was 94, 95, 96 through there. And it kind of took off. So by about the early 2000s, I was uh, I sort of dropped doing much theater or film and TV because voiceover just sort of started to swamp my timeline. So it uh, got really busy and crazy. And it's been like that ever since. It's been great. What was it like going from doing like a prelay animation to doing like one of the first ever um anime dubs to come out of uh, vancouver i think was it was it at the time was it done vancouver the ocean dub yeah yeah that's yeah that's vancouver and um, there were a couple things happening that were dubs at that time i think ronma when half was being done here and uh and then of course dragon ball the first uh that was had been done before dragon ball z here at ocean as well and um but i didn't wasn't even aware of them because i was uh 
um, just getting started in my career. So I didn't really have much of a feel for it. I'd, I'd done some, you do some what's called ADR dubbing type work when you have to, you know, resync lines and stuff for film and TV, which I'd done a couple of times. So I was familiar with the studio and I got familiar with the studio working on GI Joe, but uh, the dubbing show was very different because you're completely working by yourself, except with an engineer and director, there's no other actors to work off of. And you're really kind of uh, um, locked into sort of time frame and mouth flaps and all that stuff was really different for me, but the show was wild and interesting. And I didn't know much about anime at the time. And, um, it was a pretty exciting to, to work on when we first started it. It's a, it was a painful show to work on because we had to scream so much. I'd never yelled that much about anything in my life. So, uh, it was, it was pretty wicked and, uh, and that was taxing. So it wasn't that fun to do that part of it, but, um, being a part of a pretty pretty wild show like that was pretty exciting. And does it feel weird like being considered technically you were you guys were technically the first people to do to do uh the English dub for uh Dragon Ball Z before before it went over to Texas. Like does it feel weird like looking back on that and realizing, oh man, we were the first people to dub this like cultural icon of a show. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's stranger, I think, now that I mean, at the time it um, we you know, we had no idea what we're working on. It's just it's another gig and um, we're working on a lot of shows. So we're working. I mean, it was a very small part of what I was doing at the time. Um, so, you know, you're working on lots of different projects and that's just one day of the week. Oh, I got a Dragon Ball session this week and then you're on this prelay. And maybe I was still doing some film and TV at the time. And I remember doing Spider-Man Unlimited and I had Venom I was doing on that show for a few episodes. And so there's like random stuff going on all the time. So you don't really think about it then. Not till later on, to, you know, when the meme, the over 9000 meme came up and and people were telling me, yeah, this is this wild meme. It's going crazy on this on the Internet. And, you know, it's just nuts. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know what what's so great about this. And and uh, you start hearing a little bit more about how big the show was. Um, it was unfortunate for us that it that it moved. But that's, you know, lots of stuff does that. There's tons of shows that, you know, they might shoot pilots or shoot first seasons of shows in you know Prague and then they move it to Hollywood or they shoot in Hollywood and then realize it's cheaper to shoot it in Vancouver and the stuff gets moved all the time it would have been nice to be able to keep our roles and have them move an aspect of it but the main part of dubbing a show like that isn't the animation because it's already done it's actually working with the performers and they were able to uh take our voices and get them voice matched in in texas and and just get it done a lot cheaper than uh what what was being done in vancouver because we were all union performers so we were making more money not crazy money you certainly don't make a lot in dubbing but we were making a lot more i know than the than the, the hardworking actors at funimation were when when they first got cast as the voice matches but it's it, it's odd. A lot of them are my friends. I see them at cons all the time. So they're they're a great group of people. It's nice to see. You know, they they're always excited about. You know, you guys started what we got to do, and and we're like, you guys carried it on and just kicked ass with it for so many years. So it's been uh, it's been it's great to see it move. I would never have guessed that it would go on for this long. Very few shows do, but it's exciting that it has for for everybody involved. And would you say Vegeta was your toughest role? You know, vocally. <clears throat> yeah it's um 
it's up there. Anything that's a tough role vocally usually is because there's a lot of fighting and um, and just vocal strain involved. I've played a lot of bad guys. So there have been other shows, like I remember working on a, a video game, Warhammer 3000, and I was playing orcs and orc war bosses. And that was a show that, or a game that was just a voice trasher and I've played a lot of, uh, you know, bad guys. I remember in Max Steel and when I played Wolverine in a number of movies, he was pretty tough. But um, Vegeta is up there, right? We we did those first, whatever, 60, 70 episodes or something in that, before it moved to Texas. But then we actually continued the show a couple years later. I think we ended up starting back around the 100-episode mark or something and finished the whole series, which was aired in Canada and the UK and Ireland. I guess we had rights for it. Ocean Studios must have had rights for it in, in some of the Commonwealth markets. So we um, continued the whole series and and um, got to trash our voices for a number a number of years more. <laughs> and what was that like, you know, going into you know, not only voicing this iconic character, but like, you know, just, just seeing his arc go all the way through from beginning to end. Cause you guys like, you know, stopped for a little bit, but then, you know, went back, went back to it. Like, what was it like coming back to, 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 to such an iconic role after like stopping, stopping for a little while? It's, you know, it, it's, it's easier than you think. I mean, a lot of these things are like riding a bike, you know, once you, you play a voice ref and you just hear where you're at and, and the directors do a great job to sort of set you up when you get into the studio. Okay, here's what's happening now. This has happened. You know, you don't want to kill Goku now. Now your guys are kind of teaming up. Now you're working together a little bit. You still don't like them, but you know, you know, you're working together and now you actually like them and now you a little bit and now you got a kid and now your relationship. So there's lots of stuff that's, that kind of moves through that, that the directors do a great job with kind of informing you about. Cause we never, we didn't get the full, like they didn't send us the whole series. We didn't get like the manga in advance where they didn't send us the Japanese versions to watch before we show up and record we just show up in the room and they go straight to where your first line is and they okay here's your first line and fit it within these flaps and i'd usually go okay whoa whoa what what has happened since last time i said something um what's gone on and they they'd fill the gaps for us because they see everything but we don't see it at all see most of it until we actually get in the room so it's it's odd to do that but once you once they get you in the loop then that's your job as a performer to find the right way to emote for whatever that scene is and find the the passion for what's going on um at the time whether it's family related fight related you know uh, whatever it is um relationship related you 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 work on your uh your find your technique that you trained with and um find a way to keep your voice from being trashed while you do it. And you, and you make some choices and the directors like them, they keep them. If they fit, they keep them and you move on to the next line. <laughs> and how do you avoid vocal damage? Uh, it's really hard. Um, it's, it is one of the toughest things. Everybody that sort of works on these shows, we all have some of our own sort of, techniques really your body just wants you to rest when you're yelling it's like if you go to a concert or a big uh, football game or uh, you know i watch hockey so i'll be screaming at a hockey game or something here and uh, anything you go out for a night of partying and and the next morning you're just like oh man you're like because you were yelling at whoever you were sitting beside at the table all night over the music um your body just wants rest 
and sometimes it's dehydrated as well. So what we'll work on the most is hydrating constantly while I'm screaming. So you got to have some water, some tea, maybe lemon and honey. Some people use sort of a, a herbal extract, which is called Nimjom, which is kind of coats your throat and relaxes it a little bit while you're trying to do that screaming and then just rest. So a lot of times when I was um, doing Dragon Ball Z, I would request, because I was on a lot of other shows and I didn't want to ruin how my voice was on the other shows, is I would request to do Dragon Ball on Fridays so that I had the weekend to recuperate and get my voice back in order to do the other shows and then if i had dragon ball i could let it all rip on the friday it doesn't matter if i trash my voice it would be back and sort of in in good order by monday on whatever the next show i was on and years later you would reprise your role as vegeta on <laughs> on, on uh dragon ball super, super as as the duplicate vegeta and yeah. that, was a, that was great i remember when when that episode dropped the internet was like going crazy it's like can you believe they got like Brian Drummond back for, for this? <laughs> yeah, that was a bonus. I put that all on on Chris Sabat. He's uh, he's a good guy. He um, um, we had bumped into each other a number of times at a couple of cons in Texas and and around. And um, you know, we'd have a beer here or there, and um, we just kept in touch, whether by DMs or texting. And one time just before that, they sort of really produce things pretty fast down there. Like when they're getting into the point of recording one, it usually airs like a month later. So there's not a lot of turnaround time. But he just sent me a message said, yeah, if, if there was a role coming up on Dragon Ball Super, would you be maybe interested in doing it? And um, I said, well, it's complicated. I work out of Vancouver and and I can't really get to Texas right now. I'm on a bunch of other shows. But if we could work, make it work out up here, let me know what it is. And um, I'll see if it's interesting to me. I don't want to sort of step on the toes of uh, any performers down there. And I don't want to uh, mess with sort of the the history of some of the things I've done on the show already. Um, he said, well, you think you might be interested. So he, I think he checked with Funimation first and they gave him the go ahead. And then he came back to me. He said, it's actually a copy version of Vegeta where this alien takes his powers and becomes him briefly um but i thought it'd be cool even though in the original in the japanese version same actor did both characters i thought it'd be fun to kind of do a throwback and have the voice sound like the og uh vegeta um as the copy vegeta and i said that sounds amazing and i said so you don't want me to try to sound like what you sound like doing them now and he's like no 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 try to sound a little bit more like what you sounded like originally when you did it so that's what we did and we just kind of threw it together i recorded out of vancouver we just had a couple of um dallas directors online engineer did it in four hours one morning and they packaged it up and i think they re released it um, a couple weeks later <laughs> it was pretty great fun um, like what was it like working um with uh with the Texas crew? It's great. Yeah, they're they're great guys. As I said, I've met so many of them before. I mean, I I have no uh issue with all of them. Like to to us, there's sort of a bond amongst voice performers. There's not a lot of ego in voice performance. I don't feel there's the odd ego here and there, and we probably know who 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 they are and who they aren't. But there's there's so few and far between. Um, because most voice performers were not known for what we look like. Um, so you don't get stopped on the street or, or we have to sign autographs at, at somewhere randomly when you're trying to go out for dinner. So that ego shouldn't really be too present. And then most of us we're aware we're just working actors um, trying to make a bucket doing what we do well. And, and a lot of us have kind of fallen into this 
um, type of work from other areas. There's not, there hadn't been at the time anyhow, or back in the, in the past, a lot of actors that go, I just want to be a voice actor. I want nothing to do with being on stage or film. I just want to use my voice. There wasn't that much of that a number of years ago. Most performers came from some other area of performance, whether it was stage or, or radio or film and TV. And this was another, another tool to add to their tool chest of 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 making a a working and living wage as a performer and um, some of us it just kind of took off for us more than others and some kind of fell into it you know whether it was a, a French horn player like Sean Schmel who happened to be the guy that voice matched uh, Peter Kalamas at the time and and did the the perfect version of Goku at the time or 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 Chris Sabat who voiced me perfectly at the time all the all those things just kind of worked out um, and we've been able to just um, carry on and and make a living so I have a close connection to I think almost any voice actor whether they're my buddies that are in LA or Vancouver or Texas you know it's hard not to get along with a with a VA we're we're a pretty easygoing bunch you know we're a pretty approachable bunch and that's that I think that's what I loved about the industry when I started in it was was that aspect of it and do you still keep in touch with any of the Vancouver guys who moved to LA in the past couple of years yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, Trav Duvall and and um, Dave Kay and Corlett. There's a bunch down there that I've known over the years, and I know uh, Eric Bowserwell worked on projects with him in the past, and bumped into you know Tara Strong was on My Little Pony, so she's been up here. I worked with Maurice Lamarche on on uh, Gadget and the Gadgetinis because I was Doctor Claw and he played Inspector Gadget. So there's lots of these actors that I've worked with in the past that that are just phenomenal performers. It'd be nice to do maybe go back and forth and do more work down there but there's you know there's visa stuff related and union things related when you're working cross-border and country-wise so um and i've built such a great career here in vancouver i haven't pursued it too hard to this point just because you know family and all the work that i have in vancouver has just kept me swamped for the past 25 plus years it's been great and um how did you get involved in death note (laughs) well that was just that was a a funny one to actually get that part as well ocean just like anything, when you have an agent uh, and, a, and a studio is, is looking to cast something, they send out the casting call to the agents. The agents send you the breakdowns of the characters that the producers wanted you to read. And I was asked to read um, a couple different characters that weren't Ryuk. Um, so it wasn't Light or L. I think it was Light's dad and um, a couple other characters, a couple other detectives maybe, um, was what I was going in to read. But when I showed up at Ocean Studios... They, they they hadn't sent us pictures of the characters, but they were because they don't want them to get disseminated online. So they only had the pictures posted on the wall when we showed up to the studio to audition. So I saw the pictures of the characters I had prepared to read for. But then I also saw this picture of the character Ryuk. And I was like, whoa, man, who is that? ugly what is that guy how come i didn't get to read for that i just he was the coolest one that sort of drew me in as soon as i showed up at the studio so when i went into my audition i asked carl willems who had directed me in dragon ball and a bunch of other stuff i said carl man this is sweet look can i audition for this guy as well i I wasn't sent that role by the producers on the show but i'd love to read that one as well he's like yeah sure um i'll just get you the sides and we'll play a little voice ref of what the japanese voice actor did and you can lay down you know your version of that we're not trying to match it but we kind of want some of those similar intentions that he's got a bit of a weird laugh and you know and play around with your own idea for that so i had like 
two minutes to think of something and um, on the spot, because I was already in the studio. I didn't have it to prepare the night or two before. And I just came up with my version of what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting that role and none of the other ones. <laughs> so it worked out well. Because I recently did a rewatch of the series and I forgot how creepy Ryuk is, 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 and is, yeah, in, yeah, in the, in the, um, early episodes as well. Like you watch this yeah. in, in the early episodes and I'm like, Oh man, I, I really, I really don't trust this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a fun start. I love that show. There's so many people that I've met at cons over the years that talk about how it was their sort of um, introduction to anime and how they got into it was because of death note. Cause it's not too long. It's not like someone's trying to get you involved in anime and they start you with dragon ball, which is, hundreds of episodes and you just don't know where to even start we started super or dragon ball or dragon ball z or where do you jump in and and it feels like you got to stick with it for years just to kind of it's it's an investment to start on a big show or one piece something that's massive right it's just it's hard to jump into those but death note it's not that long and it's one episode like the very first episode you're invested you're like whoa this freaking death god just dropped this and this kid's doing this stuff with it right now. This killing, you know, you're in from episode one. So it's it's a great entry, uh, uh, I think, anime and really well done. I think the, the directing was well done. It was well cast, if I do say so myself, <laughs> that it it turned out it turned out really great. And um, uh, I just love it. It's, it's a really great series. Um, have you seen the Simpsons parody that they recently put out? <laughs> yeah, I just watched it. Uh, uh, was I watch it yesterday? Yeah, yes, the first. Uh, no, yesterday the first. Oh, I couldn't watch it on Halloween night because I was I was busy, but I, I recorded it and watched it the next day, which is great. It just shows you how much life this this show still has right now. Um, if, if the Simpsons were in, involved with it, and and the Duffer Brothers who did Stranger Things, they're going to do a TV series of it. They want it for that, and. Um, Right now, we're doing. There's a number of cons that that are happening. That a lot of the Death Note cast were sort of doing kind of a bit of a reunion tour with uh, myself and uh, Brad Swale, who plays Light, and Alessandro Giuliani, who plays L, and Shannon Chan Cantu plays Misa. So a bunch of us are kind of doing a few cons over the next year or so, just to to have a little fun. This month, we're in Pasadena at our first one together, so it'll be fun. It's got a. It's surprising that it still has legs, but like you said, you just watched it again re recently. So did I, and it's uh, that was the first time I'd watched it in 15 years. So it's same thing. It was great. It's fun to see that it's really still so good. Does it feel weird listening to yourself on projects that you've done like years ago? Yeah, it is a little bit weird. Uh, actors, we're, you know, you judge everything you do. I think it's kind of like an artist. Like if you you know, we're, we're a painter or drawing or whatever you did. And you've kind of pro progressed with things over your life and, and grown better at certain aspects of things. You, you know, sometimes it might be hard to look back at a painting you did 15 or 20 years ago and go eat or a song you produced and released 20 years ago, or, you know, same for us, for actors, we're, we just constantly judging. I think at least with us, we are judging our vocal performances on screen. Actors are probably always judging how they look. Oh, what am I doing there? What is my face doing? You know, they, they have to do that, but we're I'm every time I watch it, I'm always judging the choices I made and go, I should have asked for another take. And I should have done that one again. It does go through your head. I have to try and try and tune it out so I can just watch the show and not be bothered by it. But um, I also have to realize that a lot of people are involved and sometimes we may want to do a take or two, more on something but sometimes the directors are like no no i like that one let's move on 
or it's a time thing. They're like, we don't have time to fiddle around with 10 takes per line. We've just got to get this thing in the can and, uh, and move on. And you only get a couple of cracks at it. And if it fits, they'll, they'll take it and move on. But yeah, we judge ourselves all the time. It's a bit weird to watch yourself. I don't watch tons of myself, but uh, death note is one I can actually do. Cause it's a great show. It really is. It is. And, and the dub is phenomenal. Honestly, like I'm surprised how well the dub has um, held up over the years. Cause yeah. Sometimes you go back and watch old dubs and you're like, ah, I don't like, know. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's an, I, there's, there's, um, I kind of like some of the earlier dubs are, are quite interesting because, because of the fact there's a lot of us that are actors that d- didn't have any preconceived um, ways of doing dub voices like to us they were just characters and we're trying to come up with the best character voice based on the age and dynamic of that character who they are cop or father or death god whatever it may be and make choices as performers and let the directors put that together and some of those early ones have really great performances i think sometimes i'm finding a bit that some newer animation and even even um prelay animation that's not dub there can be a little bit of dub voice acting because some of the there's a there's some new performers i'm not going to name any names because i don't actually know any to to name but i i'll just watch some clips of things and sometimes there's some stuff that'll have a vibe of uh people who grew up watching a lot of anime and are trying to give it an anime feel right like it's got a way for delivering fight sequences and delivering lines that kind of come out certain ways that feel very anime which can make things seem a little bit copy you know you know or just just too similar to me so i find it harder to watch some shows when they start to seem a lot um the same um so uh but that's not every show i I shouldn't say that at all that it's because it isn't but um that that is what makes sometimes some of the older ones stand out is that we we didn't know anime we didn't it was another gig where we're just being paid to do your best job at acting (laughs) As long as the as long as the mouth flaps fit, then that's all that mattered, really. Yeah, if you yeah, if you could get the mouth flaps to fit and have you know as close to the right emotion going on, um, it worked. But it can be challenging because um, you know, fitting the mouth flaps is one thing, but some when you're kind of just bouncing from your line to your line to your line, you don't hear most of the time what was delivered before your line for you to respond to it. You might hear it in the Japanese if they play that for you, but you don't hear how the other actor actually delivered their line. So, and that's a big part of acting is reacting. So however, that guy says it to me, Oh, I'm going to respond like this, but I have no idea how he's going to say it to me because he hasn't recorded it yet. Or, you know, he's not until next week to record his and the same, maybe with someone who has to respond to something I did, I might not have recorded, recorded mine yet so you know acting is a lot reacting and in in dubbing you don't get to do a lot of that because you have no idea and a lot of times uh what the other actors have even done in their scene yeah because it's not like a normal like prelay script where you have like all the lines it's just like bullet points of what the character is saying and then you have the three beeps go you know yeah, well, we'll see the whole script. So I know what the line is that the actor is saying before me, like uh, everything I've done. Anyhow, all of this, the full scripts are there, not just my dialogue with nothing. So I see the full script, but I have no idea how they're going to deliver that line. Right. Um, and there's some, you know, you could deliver it in a really odd way that might make me respond to it differently. So not knowing that I have to as a performer, when you do dubbing, you have to guess 
uh, you'll you might hear the Japanese, so you'll hear a bit of an intention there of what that actor did. Then you see what it is written in English, then you have to guess maybe how the performer that's going to say that line probably will do it. Then you choose to react with your character the way that you want to do it and hope it fits within the beeps. And if it doesn't, you have to start to manipulate <laughs> your choices to make it fit within the the mouth flaps. It's especially frustrating when like a character is talking and then there's like a small pause and then he continues talking and it's like, oh, how am I going to make that fit? <laughs> yeah. Or like the it's over 9000, just kind of an odd mouth open flap. Right. With with Vegeta, you know, it's you know, it's 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 over 9000. You know, like what's he holding his mouth open for? And everybody asked me, why did you do it that way for or why did you make that choice? And I will say, I, you know, I, I probably don't even remember doing the scene at all. But my guess would be. I would probably see that line and be reacting to Napa's, you know, what does a scouter say about his power level? I would probably want to go just something quick, like it's over 9000. Right. Like, what the hell? It's over 9000. But his mouth stays open. So I probably delivered it like that because that's what I would see written. And the director would be like, oh, sorry, Brian, his mouth kind of stays open. You got to hold it for a little longer. It's over 9000. No, it's it's longer than that, Brian. You got to like keep it open. So then you just hold it a little bit longer. And like, yeah, that's good. Moving on. And you move on to the next line and not until you see it after you go, Jesus, that was weird. But someone makes a meme out of it and it becomes insanity after that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not the weirdest thing Vegeta has ever done in the series, but... <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And not the weirdest uh, delivery probably ever in the series, but there's a lot of them that somehow you, when it's the writer writes it and you're, you're, you're competing with with what the mouth flaps are, with what your intentions are, which with what the writer gave you to say with the translation, if it was even correct or not, that one wasn't, it's supposed to be 8,000. So there's so many things going on that, uh, that combine to sometimes make a line a disaster or sometimes make it a piece of internet history. <laughs> I just love the fact that, you know, years later finding out, Oh no, it, that was a mistranslation <laughs> makes it even funnier to me. I don't know why. <laughs> It does. Yeah, it it makes it absolutely, you know, and then someone had to tell me that because, you know, I didn't see the original manga and I didn't translate it. And I don't know why they wrote 9000 instead of 8000. Maybe they just thought ah, nine sounds cooler. You know, back in those days, they were always writing, you know, stuff to sort of because early on in the show was for kids TV. They're trying to write it to make it more kid friendly, you know, blurring out all the blood to make it look like dirt, making all the, you know, no swear words. So it sounds and no can't say heaven and hell and death and die. And they're trying to change so many things to kind of make it palatable for parents to let their kids watch it. And they might have seen that it said over 8000, but thought ah, 9000 sounds cooler. What does it have to be 8000 for? And they just changed it. Because at that point, nobody is hung up on, oh, stick to the, you know, the actual manga. Don't mess with the with the original versions. Uh, now they're a little more fussy about that, but not back then. They were just trying to make it work for TV at the time. Oh, just wait until they get to the Funimation one. Then then people will complain about <laughs> accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some there's some crazy stuff that uh, gets written and changed and moved around you're like what the hell are they saying that for but uh 
Yeah. You, you know, at, at, like I said, when we were starting those things and, and you're aware of it back in the early late late 80s and early 90s, it was a wild west of dubbing anime. We, nobody knew what the heck they were doing. We were trying to figure out how to write. They were trying to figure out how to write this crazy stuff. Terry Clausen and Ian Corlett were writing a lot of those first few episodes. Um, Terry was Krillin and and Ian um, it was the first Goku uh, and but they were also they're both writers as well. So they were doing all the, the trans not the translating, but they take they'd get a translated script and have to come up with make this palatable for TV because they've written up other TV shows before. So they did what they could with it. And hey, you know what? It turned out to be a hit, but they didn't uh, butcher it um, in a way that uh, nobody wanted to watch it. Everybody did want to watch it and it and it really took off. So it's it's good on them. And out of all the characters um, that you voiced, which one would you say was the toughest? Wow. Which one was the toughest? Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, toughest. Some are, you know, maybe more nerve wracking than others because you've got sort of history with things like when I was doing Dr. Claw for an Inspector Gadget series that we did in a couple of gadget movies, that was a little nerve wracking because that was a a big series that I was really aware of when I grew up and my kids watched when they were younger. So it's a, a sort of a pivotal, you know, important character as well as when I got to voice Wolverine, who was my favorite uh, X-Men character. And um, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make sure I did a great job of my version of that character. Uh, so, you know, some are a little more nerve wracking so that they, they give you a little more tension by trying to, you know, please yourself and please the powers that be. Some are just more painful to do. Like probably Vegeta probably is right up there as one of the toughest to do just because of the, uh, the level of fighting that's involved. Just recently um, I've uh, been playing um, uh, Hadlar in uh, Dragon Quest Adventures of uh, Die. And um, that character is insanely difficult as well. There's some crazy fight sequences with him that are just, you know voice trashing and um then of course there recently it was just came out that i'm playing um uh eggman in the new uh um sonic prime series and that one had its own tension around doing that and that because it's a it's a massive franchise sonic and i wanted to make sure i i did uh eggman justice with my version of it there's been a lot of canadian performers over the years that have played that role good old Dr. Robotnik and uh, many other great performers that have played it as well out of the States. And I wanted to make sure my, my spin on it was, uh, uh, you know, gave hint to everybody else and, but was worthy of uh, being part of such a great franchise. So, you know, we, we, we hold ourselves to account to try and be good at whatever we do, but as far as difficulty on the voice anime stuff like Vegeta and, uh, and, and Dragon Quest and stuff like that are really tough shows but I would say probably what gives me, you know, more attention and makes me really concentrate more is a, is a show that's got a character that I'm playing that has a, a, a real big fan base or a, or a great history to it that I want to make sure I do justice to it. I'm, I'm kind of glad you mentioned Sonic Prime because I, I was just about to ask, like, how did you how did you get involved in that? Same way as everything else. It's the it's the beauty of working in the industry as a performer. You, you have your, you have an agent and. uh uh, I had no idea there was another show being done. I'm no, I played Knuckles way back in the in the day on uh, Sonic Underground, which was with Sue Blue, I think, as a director on that one as well. I had worked with her on, uh, on uh, I think it was with Sue on that one. I can't remember now. I think it was with Sue. But of course, I'd worked with uh, on her with G.I. Joe. 
Um, but that was a long time ago. That would have been almost like 20 years ago when I did Sonic Underground. And then, so I didn't really think about it. There'd been so many iterations of games and series that have been done out of the States since then. It didn't really cross my mind, but I, clearly Wild Brain Studios up here must have got the rights to do the new Prime um, series. And they were given the go-ahead to cast here in Canada. And you see a casting come out for Sonic Prime. And you see these characters like Sonic and Knuckles and Shadow and Eggman and stuff cross by your um, your your inbox. You're like, whoa, look at this. Exciting. <laughs> and and um, I knew which ones I, you know, I wanted to read for. And I definitely knew I wanted to read for Eggman. So I made sure I did my research on what's been done recently and what's been done in the past and what my version would be like and came up with a, with a few different ideas that I submitted and they chose one that we went with. And um, it's been, it was been a blast, absolute blast working on it. Really fun group. Unfortunately, because of COVID and everything, we've only been able to like dubbing record one at a time, as opposed to in a group together, which I would have loved on this series. It would have been a blast to be able to record um, like we do with Prelay, like all together in a room. Um, but we just did our our bits one at a time, which was unfortunate. I found there's a you lose a little bit of the camaraderie on a show when you don't get to work together that way. It's also funny you mentioned Knuckles because you're technically like the first actor to play him in a in an animated series. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, everybody was when they stayed let they uh, sort of slipped in a list of names of actors that were on the show quite early when uh when devin was announced as as the new actor playing knuckles but we weren't allowed to say who we were playing we asked he said are we allowed to say who we're playing yet and they're like nope so it was like five six months later we were finally given the go-ahead to be able to say who we were but everybody was making all their their assumptions and and ideas of who was who and folks a lot of folks thought i'd probably be coming back as as knuckles and um just because i'd played him before and then there were a few folks that thought because i play a lot of villains and deeper voice kind of badasses that maybe i'd be shadow um but most of them missed it eggman <laughs> the biggest of all the badasses come on <laughs> while you were doing re your research on on the role did you go back and listen to mike's uh, version yeah, I listened to all of them. I went back and listened to everybody. Um, Long John Baldry, who was the first voice. He's based out of Vancouver, an English actor, but was Canadian citizenship who worked in Vancouver, was the first uh, Eggman, Dr. Robotnik. And then it went, to, I think, went to the States for a little bit. And Jim Cummings played him. And then it was back to Vancouver. And Gary Chalk played him when I was Knuckles in Sonic Underground. Then, of course, Jim Carrey had his version. And, and, uh, and Mike has his fabulous version for the past... 20 years so i kind of listened to everybody and i wanted to listen to everybody because i didn't want to get one stuck in my head so i just kind of wanted to see what kind of twists everybody did and and they didn't want us to voice match anyone i said i'm not take i'm not going to voice match some actor i want to do my version of what it would be but i also want to stay true to who that character is you can't be completely off book and an Eggman is something completely different than he's ever been but i still wanted him to be in my range in in my my the, the characters i i tend to gravitate towards and but with all the flavors that sort of eggman has to him and that's um that's what i hope i uh, i brought to the role over the past uh, couple of years that we've been working on it i mean so far so good i mean the fan reception has been very positive thankfully no one has has gone like really yeah. negative about it <laughs> no no we were pretty happy i was happy about that i was of course all of us that were on the show we all had our own uh 
nerves about it because the the sonic fandom is uh can be particular but i think they're you know what they're you know protective of something that's a phenomenal franchise it's kind of like anything don't don't mess with a character that shouldn't be messed with you know you don't don't mess with what darth vader should sound like come on that's not vader <laughs> like like if you don't uh screw around with it too much and because we knew that we were hoping that we would still uh uh be accepted with the stuff that we did and i think they did some great job there i mean everybody that's on the show are very ex- very experienced performers with uh a lot of uh a lot of shows under our belts and i've um um you know got a a pretty good handle on on the the uber villain over the past 25 years so i i had a pretty good idea of where to go with this guy i just wanted to make sure i was on the same page as the creators on this one because every creator on every new series or 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 movie version that uh, is based around sonic is going to have want to put their own spin on it so you sort of got to be able to play their ball and play their game to give them the 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 type of stuff they want for their show and and um you know without going into too too heavy spoilers like what was like can you tell us like a little bit about his personality like what is like like what is this version of eggman like you know what that's one thing i probably won't tell you too much about i, I because i not that it's be, be spoiler wise for the show but um i kind of want to let uh let um let people kind of uh, make their own uh determination on what they think it is the first time they see it this this coming december it's kind of like a piece of art if you're about to go to the museum and and you've told them you've made a new painting and they know you painted it and they've seen some sneak peeks of it um i don't want to explain to someone um what the painting's about and what kind what you're going to get out of it and what you think you'll see in it um as opposed to letting people see it first because i what excites me the most i think about projects like this is seeing what the feedback is like Let's just say he's he's all I can really say is um, I think people will be happy to know he's he's still Eggman. He is he is who you think he is. Right. And um, uh, but just uh, my own uh, twists and and uh, and vocal flavors on that. I've that I've that have that are, you know, you can't get around what your voice does. Um, and that's that's what it, that's what it'll be for this uh, for this big boy. So you're not going to be doing a Jim Carrey impression. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 yeah that was that was actually probably the the version i watched the least of um would have been jim carrey's version because it's not the the animated version which which sonic prime of course is so yeah no i spend much more time looking at the other characters than i did jim carrey's that's for sure but uh, uh but i've seen the movies so I'm, I'm very aware of what what he's done so yeah because I mean, I wasn't a fan of his take in the first movie, but like the second one, I'm like, okay, now he, you know, now he's Robotnik, basically. Like that—that's what I—that's that's the kind of character I would have expected from the first one. But again, the first one was kind of eh. But the second one was second one was better, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think you know that was probably something that made that was clearly a choice of directors knowing that they're going to do you know three who knows what they're doing i know they're doing at least three of these they're shooting them up here so we see them around town doing working on these shows um up in vancouver here is where they where they've shot these movies um but uh yeah it was probably a choice it's sort of a bit more of an origin of where he came from and how he became who he is so he wasn't full-on 
um, Eggman, Doctor Robotnik from 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 opening um, scene, which it's a choice, but it's uh, you, I agree with you. Uh, he was it's far more enjoyable to see him where he gets to by this by the second movie, and it'll be interesting to see what choices they make by the time they move into a, this third one. I can't wait. Um, also, um, I also want to point out, like, is it is it weird, like, working on a show, working on um, Sonic? And not being knuckles. Oh, not not at all. You know, I mean, um, <clears throat> when the sides came across my uh, my computer as as choices of who to audition for, right away I didn't I, I didn't honestly think I would probably read for Knuckles. Um, I was just like, you know, I don't think I I would read for him. Now th- that was this was a couple of years ago when we were reading for the characters. That was before. Idris Elba ended up playing the character and he's probably in my age range. So I just pictured Knuckles to be younger and have maybe a few more youthful tones to him. So I don't even think I submitted a read for Knuckles. Um, I might have. I can't, can't remember now. I Usually I read for anything that gets sent to me. I read for it, whether they think I'm going to get it or not. But I, in my mind, I know I didn't think I was going to get that one. I was really focused on Eggman because I thought this is my right in the pocket of where where I am right now with, with my voice and with stuff that I can do and with characters that I love to do. So I, I think I really put my biggest focus on, on my read for air for, for Eggman, but no, I, I wasn't um, uh, in the least bit concerned, being weirded out by being in something where someone else is doing the voice. It's pretty wild to be on a, to be in a, on such a, a cool franchise where literally there's, there's video games that are just recently coming out like right now that, have a different voice cast there's movies that are that are in the theaters or just were and other ones being made completely different actors and there's an animated series that's just being released in a month or so another voice cast it's kind of wild to that we're all part of this uh, big family and um uh, it, it's just every one of them has their own uh aspect that that's just fun when they announced devin as um as sonic and he had to like make that video saying like you know I'm just playing Sonic for for this thing it's not yeah. a replacement please don't like say I'm replacing Roger Craig Smith for the franchise it's just it was just yeah. it's just for the series so because it gets um really confusing like looking at like all these projects and they're using different cast members and you're like are they are they just gonna ever stick to one cast but uh, honestly I think it's a good thing because you get different takes and. If you're not a fan of one take, you can just say, well, I just, uh, you know, pick pick the one you like. Well, and it's and the guys that are, you know, with with Roger and Mike, um, they're not they didn't start with those roles. They they took them from somebody else. Right. I mean, I mean, those roles moved to them from other performers as well. So um, some of these things just move move along in, in mysterious ways. We never know the reason sometimes behind the producers about why they want to do things. Um, uh, Mike did just a, a stellar job, uh, uh, a voice matching and, uh, and repri- you know, re- reprising that role and has just killed it for 20 years. Roger Craig Smith is like a, is just a demon voice actor. Like he is so good at, at so many things. Like he's just killed it for years as well. But, um, it's, it has been nice certainly to, to be a part of it, uh, with our cast as well, because they're a, a bunch of very accomplished performers with, uh, most of us with 20 to 30 years under our belts as well. So uh, we're, 
we're happy to be part of the team. And, and if it moves on to, to other folks when we're done, we're happy to pass it on to the, to the next uh, superstars that are, that are going to take it on. You know, you never know where it's going to go in the next 10 years, the ne- let alone the next two years. I mean, I'm just happy that they cast voice actors and not celebrities. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am a, as well. It's, 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 it's nice to see that. And, um, um, you know, it's, that happens sometimes and it's, and it can be problematic. I, I like sort of like there were, we have a couple of big franchises up here with um, my little pony was a pretty huge franchise and Ninjago is a pretty huge franchise, but with my little pony, I think they did it right when they did the feature film where they kept all the original cast from, from seasons and seasons of a really popular series, but they cast all the side characters and new villains and added some characters with stars or A's or A or B lister stars and put them in and to, to market the movie as opposed to what they did with Ninjago where none of the main cast played any of their roles. Um, and they cast completely different actors, some more like B and C lister actors to play all the roles in the film, which to me, you know, sucked because of it. I think they should have cast the, 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 the characters that played those roles and added some new villains and side characters for their names, which they could put on the poster. That would have been what I would have done with that show if I was producing it, because I don't know how many kids probably, you know, or adults showed up in the theater and were like, what the heck? They all sound like totally different dudes, right? Than what I've been watching for five, six years. Yeah, man. Ninjago's still going. It's still going. Still going. <laughs> still going. Yeah. 10 plus years with those guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that just shows you some of these shows really have legs and uh, and it's it's fun to just sort of be able to be part of any of these franchises over the years, you know, whether it's Marvel, Disney, you know, the Hasbro shows like model pony Ninjago working for Lego. Like it's pretty exciting to get a chance to work with some of these uh, uh, companies and, and some of the creatives that get behind it, even though a lot of them are, you know, we're, we're here to sell toys. People, they don't tell us that we still just go in and treat it like um, they're uh, they're a project unto their own. And, and hopefully, you know, families and kids and adults, if it's, adult oriented alike you fall in love with it and if they do i think that's what what sells product as if a is that people just fall in love with a show and that's our job is to make that happen by making the characters you know really fit the bill for what they're supposed to do and do you own any of the toys of any of the characters you've voiced over the years yeah dude i'm sitting in front of like a hundred of them right now they're they're all over the space i'm in it's a bit of a mess because i've i'm in the i've moved recently from where i was to a, a location that's quite near a lot of the studios i work in but i haven't um rebuilt uh my studio in the place i'm in so i'm in sort of a almost like a closet that i've made become a studio but it also holds a bunch of my like a mountain of toys and you know uh the dvds over the years books like half of them where my voice comes out of them all this kind of crazy stuff it's all in front of me and then there's even a couple of pieces of folded sweaters hanging around here just to kind of dampen the sound it's it's bizarre yeah i'm probably sitting in front of 50 things right now that are right in front of me that are toys of stuff i've done <laughs> is stinkor there stinkor now uh do i have a stinkor Let's see. In my drawer, I'm pulling. I'm opening a drawer right now that's also here. I think I remember getting a stinkor and a too bad at a uh, con. I have so many uh, Vegeta things that it, it kind of takes over my space. 
But um, I think I do have a Stinkor. I have a Stinkor and a Tubad. I don't know where they are, though, but I have them. Yeah, I'm looking at, um, what am I looking at right now? Streaky, the Super Cat. There's a pile of, like, uh, uh, Steelbox Death Note things. There is a, a, a bunch of uh, My Little Pony characters. There's stuff from Dinosaur Train in front of me. There's more My Little Pony. Here's a comic book from, like, 25 years ago with Knuckles on the front. Battle Force 5 wolverine stuff oh my god it's everywhere <laughs> i i hope you made room for more stuff because um <laughs> I, I know i know you voiced you also voice um flazard in in, yeah. in dragon quest and yeah and, yeah and they and, and they announced a figure of him and it looks looks real nice <laughs> wow wow that's gonna be fun yeah that that voice is a tr- is a is a trash voice trasher that guy was just uh um something else i was trying to pitch him up um and a little higher uh away from uh hadlar who is much sort of deeper in my range and growlier kind of in size and stature than uh 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 general uh flazard but um so that was when he was fighting and stuff man it just wrecked my voice with that guy totally wrecked my voice so um i will be happy to see the some of those toys at the many conventions yeah look at them a pop figures can't wait to get some of these things i've got an old glove here let's see if you can hear this at all um i'll try to whoa, oh, 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 knocking stuff over sorry i've got this dragon ball z i'm not, i got this a long time ago um saw it in a toy place um it's a it's called super Gu- glove and it's so faded because it's moved around a lot vegeta's final flash <laughs> And uh, I, I remember getting it from the store because I was trying to get some money out of somebody because nobody paid me to use my voice in it. But it has three. I don't know if you can hear any of this. If I let's try and push the, if it's not dead yet. Oh, it might be dead now. Oh, I need to change the battery. I'm trying to get it to. Oh, here we go. So, he, yeah, he's it says, good, Napa. Let's go make fools out of them. I have no idea why they chose that line to put in this glove. That says Vegeta's final flash, as opposed to him saying final flash, maybe. <laughs> but that's what it says in this stupid glove that I got like 25 years ago from a Toys R Us. It's bizarre. Well, and is that actually you <laughs> in that? That's me. Oh, it's me. It's absolutely me. It has it has just it has a sound effect. It has the Japanese voice actor. So it makes a sound effect sound. You can probably barely hear that. It's so quiet now. And then you heard that little bit, which is a Japanese actor. And then that one, which is me. <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I got a, I got a mountain of this stuff. I never know what I'm going to do with it. Every time I move somewhere, I'm trying to half the time I spell, spent uh, instead of creating cabinets for my clothing, I'm trying to figure out how to create cabinets for, for toys, which I never want to get. I got bins full of artwork because I can never throw the stuff away. You know, kids that draw you things and the, so I just, it's a file folders full of stuff. If I die, I'm going to have my kids will be like, what do we do with this stuff? We're going to start a bonfire. I don't know. <laughs> it's, in, it's insane. Do you own any of the transformers stuff that you've done? <laughs> any, any yeah. Yeah. I was transformers. Just, yeah, I was just this this drawer that I'm in right now in front of me. There's a huge jet storm that's in here. Uh, really cool. And I think this was from a long time ago because my son took it out of the box and put it together. And it was like the 
worst toy ever. It was so complicated to build, so hard to make them work, but it, it looks really cool, but it's just a bugger to put together. Uh, two different jet storms, because there was one that actually came in a McDonald's set as well. I think they had some of those. And then I have Blur and uh, Shock Blast. And I don't know, there's, there's a mountain of them. A mountain of them, but lots of Transformer stuff. I mean, you should keep those because those are rare. Those you can't find those anymore, obviously. No, no, I've got them. That one, I'm, every time I look at that one, I'm like, oh, why did he take that out of the? Why did he take that out of the uh, the box? That Jetstorm would have been, and it's clearly been played with too. It was one of his favorites, so he's he's just like done a lot with of, of uh, messing around with it. So, but yeah, I should have kept that one in a box because they they're not they don't make them anymore. Because. <laughs> Because I remember that toy. I'm like, because I, I really like Jetstorm and Beast Machines. He was like probably like the the, yeah. only, good, the only good character in that show. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I want a toy of that. And then I look at what the toy is and I'm like, no, that's yeah. that looks awful. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't quite look like him. You're like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's challenging sometimes when you see the the movie and you and it doesn't even do what doesn't even transform how you transformed in the series. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, it's still worth collecting. And I'll tell you, they're pretty fun. <laughs> do you have Blur? Because I know you voice Blur as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got a Blur here. I have um, probably well, not every character, but if there's a character, I even if I'm just wandering through, and I probably would have more. But my kids are are grown up now, so but when I was going through toy stores and you're always shopping for christmas or or or, uh, or birthday presents and stuff i'd be like hey i play that guy and i'd grab i'd usually come home with more stuff that was for me than for anybody's birthday but uh, i don't go through those stores as much anymore so I'm, i don't see the toys as often a lot of what i do get is what people give me at conventions yeah we found this we just wanted to give you this model or we found that or we found this and or they give me this pop figure or that and i'm actually kind of glad i didn't get into collecting too many pops because I really liked them and I started to get a few and then I told people stop, like don't not at conventions, but my family were starting to give me pops. And I said, let's, you know, back off the pops because um, if I start collecting them, I will go all in and I will have like walls of them because I'm a nerd for a lot of shows. Like I love star Wars. So I got tons of star Wars stuff. I'm a Marvel freak. So I'd have Marvel things, all the shows we've done in anime. I'd have all those. I just have, I'd have hundreds of them and I'd waste every ounce of every penny I made on pop figures. No, I feel you because I remember years ago, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to buy one or two and that'd be, yeah. that'll be it. And now I have like, I don't know, 20 of them <laughs> like sitting around. Yeah. yeah. That's how it starts. You get one or two and then you just stop. I was like, I was, I was probably worse. And when we did our last move, I'd sold most of them, but I was like that with DVDs and, and steel boxes and stuff like that. Like, and, and Blu-rays, I just buy lots of shows that I really like, but I, you know, most of them, I'd never even take them out of the wrapping cause I'd seen it in the theater or, 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 uh, watched it somewhere and I just wanted it myself. Or maybe I watched it once and I had drawers and drawers of DVDs and Blu-rays and steel boxes. And I sold most of them when I moved and kept just my sort of favorites are you me because because i i do that too i used to like collect a lot of dvds and i i just recently got rid of like a bunch of them because i'm like i it's <laughs> been it's been like 
I don't know how many years. I'm never going to watch this again. And DVDs are, are like a dead yeah. format now. So, yeah. like, who has a DVD player anymore? Yeah. Yeah. It's like CDs. Like, you can't, you, there's like nowhere to even put them in anything anymore. So, it's like, what are you going to do with a CD player? So, I, uh, yeah, we just got, just got rid of most of them. And, uh, uh, you know, it's too bad because uh, even with Blu rays, like, to be able to, like, a Blu ray was such great quality, even compared to most stuff that I still see on TV that's considered to be 4K. I still saw better quality stuff on my blu-rays so um it's it's i hope that soon we'll be able to catch up with that with that um or in the streaming services that it can look that good oh no i i i mean one one advantage i think physical media has over like streaming is that you're not you know if i if i'm watching something on blu-ray i'm watching it at full uh, 1080 um it's not like on streaming where sometimes it only goes up to like 720 yeah like i don't why did they do that? Why? Why? Oh, like, yeah, I really hate that. I really hate that. Like, I'm, I'm, I've become like a, a stickler for yeah, quality yeah. when it comes to video quality. I'm like, I can't, oh, I can't watch this if it's like on 720. I just can't. It looks garbage. It's, it looks exactly. Like, it looks, it looks terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I totally feel you. And, and there's something about actually. Um, I mean, we're in, we're in such a digital world that everything i mean you can own so many cool things but it's all just floating out there in the ether it's sometimes just to have something physical that's like i have this it's this this is the steel box of whatever pixar's whatever or this you know you know just to hold it in your to have it have it in your hand and have it in a collection it's kind of like having a library it's different than having all your books in your on your e-reader than having a library of really cool books. There's just something about that that I still really love. I was just, my daughter's a big uh, record uh, collector and I was in a really great uh, record store just up the street from where I live and wandering through there was just, it's so nostalgic and just to flip through with your hands and look at records and be surprised by stuff, not just kind of going to where you, what you want to see. You can kind of well, look at this, you know, and it takes you somewhere where you wouldn't have gone. Um, I love it. So it's um, it's a it's a format that it's uh, unfortunate. So much of it is being lost with uh, with everything being streaming. But that's the way it's the world we live in. We got I got to deal with it kind of on on both sides. At least I can say I lived in an era where it was kind of fun to go to Blockbuster on the on the weekend and spend an hour in there fighting with your family about what you're going to take home for the weekend, <laughs> and then paying late fees when you didn't get it back on time. <laughs> No, I totally agree with you. Like I miss the days I miss going to VHS stores and just like all I, all we had back then was like going to the VHS stores and just like the poster. That's all we had to judge by the movie by. It's just like the poster. Does this look like something I would watch? Yeah. And that's it. Yep. Like you didn't know it was good. If it was good or bad, like there was no rotten tomatoes. Yeah. Oh God. Take me yeah. back. To There's no days. review sites, no rotten tomatoes. There's nothing. There's like the front of this looks good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself to just, you know, before I'll see a, the cover of something, goes, that looks pretty cool. Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. And I'll, and I'll go straight there before I even give it a chance. Whereas that wasn't an option. You probably got a chance to see some things you might never see because, um, you know, you were sold by the actors that were in it and the storyline as opposed to some reviewers that it wasn't their cup of tea. Right. At that time. Right. So it, it it is unfortunate then. And I should try more to just sort of 
not do that, not look for the reviews because I don't want to waste my time on a bad movie. I've seen a lot of that. I've gone with the Rotten Tomatoes reviews and go, this was shit. <laughs> what, what did I listen to those guys for? <laughs> I didn't like that at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just be- I, I just don't like the fact that mar- that Rotten Tomatoes scores are now like a marketing tactic. I'm like, I why telling me something has like a fresh or rotten rating oh, doesn't yeah. tell it doesn't tell me if it's good or bad it just means that oh it has like a rating on a website okay cool you know what other website has ratings imdb and guess what most yeah. imdb ratings are shit cuz it's all user generated <laughs> content yeah 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 well and it's uh yeah i i, I try to use it if when i do to just kind of weigh with sort of what I want to see. And because sometimes you'll get reviewers that are like 90%, the reviewers liked it, but 40% of viewers of the actual viewers liked it. And then sometimes the viewers loved it and reviewers hated it. So I tried to give both sides, both sides a chance. If both hated it, then sometimes I walk away. It's like, Oh, reviewers hated this. Ooh. And people hated it. So uh, maybe not. <laughs> then I, then I don't tend to give it a chance. I'm not very good if, if both sides of the equation uh, walked away from it, but <laughs> I should try it anyhow. Sometimes a, a terrible movie is sometimes the most fun. Rocky Horror Picture Show, come on. Back in the day, review, viewers and reviewers would have hated that movie, but it's it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that movie got popular because people just like to make fun of it. I think so. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what's fun. You know, when we can sometimes find in those movies and, you know, just just to be able to make fun of them. But there's old movies like even, you know, like arachnophobia and different things like that that were just so corny at the time. But they they hold up over the years because they're so, so corny. Right. <laughs> Especially a lot of the Halloween movies we watched recently that they're just uh, they're they're ridiculous. But you, you, you get a kick out of scream movies, Final Destination movies, which are terrible, but they're just kind of fun to, to watch. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's I, mean, uh, I love that, it. That's the that's the problem with franchise. Like the first installment's pretty decent or good. And yeah. then the rest are just really terrible. <laughs> Yeah, they just bang them out fast before people realize this is a stupid idea. Like, let's make as much money as we can and get out of here. <laughs> like, uh, Not Sonic, though. Hey, Sonic has held on for years. They're constantly <laughs> trying to make it pretty good. <laughs> like, how many times is Tony Todd going to tell a group of teenagers, like, death mer- works in mysterious ways before, before yeah. it stops being clever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No kidding. Well, that's hilarious. It does sound like we have a lot in common. This, But I find that uh, that's what I kind of like about uh, when I do get the time to go to some cons and do some stuff is, um, um, you know, I the real world people that I hang around in my life. Um, you know, are always sort of befuddled by what I do for a living as a, as a voice guy. And, and you, I tell them to go to cons and they're always like, isn't that weird? Aren't the people really strange there? And I'm like, you know, I don't, not really. I think I, a lot of them are like my people. They're just, you know, we, we love, you know, pop culture stuff. We love um, our, our Marvel, our anime, our video games. We, we just, there's, there's certain things that, so I can, I, I feel like a lot of times I can talk longer with some of those people than when I'm, you know, sitting down having a conversation with my, you know, financial advisor friend who I might've known for 20 years. Like we have, you know next to nothing in common they're like oh yeah i haven't seen any of the uh marvel movies infinity war or any of that i'm like what who are you what is wrong with you like some people i just like oh, we can't even speak to each other anymore you, 
<laughs> you don't know who's Tony Stark. What? Get out of here. <laughs> Whereas when I go to a con, I can talk to anybody about anything with with all these types of shows and um, have a pretty, you know, hilarious conversation um, as long as uh, the time permits. So um, it's enjoyable. Yeah. You know, speaking of cons, I just want to I'm just wondering now. Have, was there ever a point where you went to a con and, and you and you told someone, oh, I did the voice of Wolverine or whatever. And they're like, eh, you know, Scott McNeil was better. <laughs> yeah, there there's some. Well, because you get a lot of folks who are uh, who are pretty straight to the point because you can get people that are, you know, the, the, the filter isn't there. And I and I, I don't take I don't take uh, take it to heart uh, too much. It usually I'll just usually say, well, you know, uh, it's I usually say, well, I prefer to say I prefer Scott McNeil or I um, prefer so and so because I have my own favorites of things I've seen. Right. And some people say, you know what? I didn't. But surprisingly, most people aren't that way. Um, but I have no problem when uh, it's funny. I'll get people that. Uh, at, at lots of anime conventions that yeah you know i i kind of know uh the original uh dragon ball z vegeta like you're just you're the history and i want to get the sign but i think you know when i hear vegeta now it's still more sort of chris sabbat to me but i just love that that you're sort of part of that thing but he's still sort of when i think of vegeta that's who he is and i'm like no kidding of course he's been doing it for so long that's you know practically in my head that's who vegeta is right and i i've <laughs> I voiced the guy. So I, I don't blame anyone that has their favorites because you should be allowed to. It's 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 an industry where you're allowed to love who you love. And as long as you're not being super mean to anybody about it, and nobody really ever is. Uh, most people are just amazing, uh, at least supportive, no matter what. Even if on the inside, when they're chatting with you, they're thinking, well, I kind of like Scott McNeil's Wolverine better or whoever. Um, it doesn't matter to me one bit. I'm just I'm just happy they love the genres because they're the people that keep us employed. You know, if people aren't out there watching these movies buying the merch you know enjoying the shows playing the video games we don't have a we don't have gigs to do so i i try and support them with whatever they love and i just want to end on that that note and that you know if people don't like your version of eggman that's fine you know you don't have to it's but it's a version that exists and understand that there are going to be people who do like it so you know, different yeah. strokes for different folks, honestly. A absolutely. And that's that's what I'll say probably when 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 if any hate comes in, they don't they don't have to love mine. And it doesn't have to be, oh, this is better than Mike's or this is better than Jim Cumming or Gary Chalk or Jim Carrey or or Long John Baldry or like whoever. It doesn't have to, uh, uh, you know, they don't have to be, you know, uh, you, you, you don't have to have. Um, you know, point out who you love and don't love, but I'm fine if if people do because I know I'm I'm one of many who will probably voice it down the road. This seems like a a franchise that's still got legs for many years, and I'm not the first guy to voice him. I'm not the last guy. I may have been the first one to voice Knuckles in 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 it with an English voice, and but I certainly wasn't the last there either. So uh, um, it, I'll be I'll be happy for the next guy that that gets to voice um, any of the characters I've done um, as long as they maybe, you know, give me a crack at it. If, if it's being recorded in my town. <laughs> I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, I, th I feel like the Vancouver uh, Vancouver has a lot to give, honestly, like it, it, 
it amazes me like how a lot of people just sleep on the Vancouver talent pool. I'm like, it's like there are like so many, so many talented people, and I, and it, and it annoys me that like sh more shows aren't getting made in Vancouver. And I'm like, oh, you know, they have a really good voice cast. You know, I kind of want to see more English English dubs from Vancouver. You know. Yeah, well, we talk about that a, a bit as well, but it's 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 been a bit of the challenge of sort of just industry and. And it's all finance related. I don't think anybody's like not coming to Vancouver because of the talent pool. It's usually finances with dubs. They try and do a lot of dubs down and dirty and cheap and they get them banged out pretty quick. They grab them from uh, the Japanese versions and they just want to get them cranked out and get the series on Crunchyroll or wherever. So the, the quicker and faster and cheaper they can do it, the better. And if they don't have to deal with union performers in Vancouver, which we are, um, it's just easier for them and cheaper for them. And that's why a lot of stuff, I think, gets done in in uh, in Houston and Dallas in Texas, because it's non-union performers and they can do it a lot less for a lot less uh, money right off the hop and just get it out there right away. Um, so we that's why we haven't seen probably as quite as many dubs in Vancouver. We do a lot of a lot of shows, but it, a lot quite a bit of it is for younger audiences. Um, so we're we got a lot of performers here that are working all the time. It would be nice if we had a few more um, sort of adult oriented um, shows. There haven't been a ton of them, but there are some that get into the teen realms and with the Ninjagos and and shows like that that are sort of uh, teen and, and preteen and above. Not a not a ton of shows that are full on adult like the you know like the family guys or the rick and morty's or things like that or big mouth it'd be great to have a lot of those but they do tend to cast a lot more um uh, tv stars to do that kind of work but yeah we uh, we got you're right we got a lot to give in this city and we're just we just keep on giving i'm not complaining i've had a uh, phenomenal career i was looking on um behind the voice actors the other day trying to remember a, a name of a a character i played i couldn't I could see a face, but I couldn't remember it. So I was just trying to go through some pictures. And I, I went on the one of the the top listings just to see number of characters, like who's played the most characters kind of thing. And I was pretty excited, actually, to see I was, I don't know, I was sitting around number 22 or something like that out of all English voice actors in the history of of animation there's only about 20 actors that have done more roles than me and those include um you know the south park guys that just do every voice and <laughs> right so uh it's it's pretty fun to be to 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 think i've done that much over my my 25 plus year career it's pretty fun um, so I'm kind of glad to know that I'm not the only one who had to like spend hours just looking at your IMDb, just trying to remember a lot of the roles for the, that you've oh, done. Oh man, I, for I forget them. I forget them. Usually, I try and go on there and refresh a little bit before I go to a con. I'm like, who have I played? Because sometimes people come to your table. Oh, I just loved you and whatever as so and so, and I'm like. Ooh, I'm like, was I him? <laughs> like, I don't remember. And they go, yeah, yeah, you were. It was like 1999 and it was this, you know, crazy anime. And I'm like, oh, you know, because man, stuff can, when you do all as much as we do, when you're on, I think mine was, you know, I'm over 800 and there's a ton of roles they don't even have on there. I'm probably over a thousand roles on hundreds of series over the years. You, you forget them sometimes, uh, you know, if, if they don't become really big, like a Dragon Ball or Sonic or these type shows, if it does, if it sort of has a one and done type season, you don't always remember every single one of them. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I, while I was looking you up, I'm like, oh, he was death in the hollow. I remember that show. <laughs> yes. Death. 
death and death note you know if i'm gonna need a death god i'm the guy <laughs> well i mean he's technically not death because it's all a simulation but still <laughs> exactly 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 yeah yeah no spoilers <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers for a show that's been on netflix for like for how many five years, years. <laughs> exactly yeah exactly someone did that to me once for uh 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 what the what the heck's the name of the movie um six cents um i was you know made some comment about uh bruce willis's character being a ghost and someone's like ah i haven't seen that yet i'm like i'm sorry i'm sorry you are not allowed to to claim a spoiler on the sixth sense anymore it's been too long get your act together and um see the movie (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean optimus prime dies in the transform yes <laughs> exactly how can you say that i haven't seen it yet too bad i'll give people about five years you know i even i took me a while to get to game of thrones so i knew some stuff but i accepted the fact that there were some spoilers i knew before i started watching it so i was ready to see them when it came around but it, it didn't ruin it for me that much it was i kind of didn't know exactly when it was going to happen but uh I knew it was going to happen, whatever, whatever happened there. But um, I, you know, if, if you take too long to get at it these days, you got to you got to just uh, suck it up and, and deal with it. <laughs> I know all the God of War. My son is a major God of War, just nut. And he's been like steering clear of his, you know, trying to stay away from Twitter and anything before the game comes out because he doesn't want any spoilers. He's like, yeah, stay off my phone. I just want to make sure I can cleanly play the game without everybody talking about it. <laughs> Kratos has a son. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been great talking to you, man. Yeah, this is yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, before I wrap this up, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on? Where can people find you online? Where can people find me, on- find me online? Well, for now, anyhow, um uh Brian Drummond VO on Twitter, and I think it's Brian Drummond VO as well on Instagram. I'm not on there quite as much um and uh th- those are the two best places to sort of keep track of kind of what things i'm doing um things i'm working on man the th- usually the things you're working on is what you're not allowed to talk about so those are the those are always the tough ones but but uh, i'll just let everybody know to keep their keep their eyes out for especially uh dragon quest um when it when it airs in north america i'm not actually sure when that's going to be i know it started airing in in england recently so that's why some of the some clips have started to show up with the characters i've played on there um general flazard and hadlar are two of the main biggies big baddies and of course december 15th on netflix sonic prime gotta wait for that to come out and i can't wait to see how uh, how everybody receives it hopefully it uh it uh, hits the the fans uh well and um it races to another season. Who knows? <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. This has been a lot of fun, and we got to get you back when when all that other stuff clears. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's the toughest thing. When I'm in the studio working on it, is usually when you're not allowed to talk about it. All right, take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>